0: You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel.
1: Tonight's reading is from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Our Father, we are thankful for your word. We long to see, we long to hear, so we pray that you would, by your spirit, allow us to see Christ and hear from him this evening. We pray that anything that I might say that is from you and is helpful to your people might uh, dwell deeply in their hearts and in their minds and in their souls, and anything that is not would be just quickly forgotten. We do pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see everyone tonight. My name is Nathan. If I haven't met you, what, what a time. What a time. Uh, we're glad to see so many of you here this evening, uh, and perhaps uh, maybe a few more than normal on Zoom that are joining us tonight. Uh, I know many of you might be frustrated this week, uh, but I'd perhaps uh, encourage you just in two ways before we get to Acts. Uh, One, just keep reminding yourself of of all the submission to authority passages that just litter the New Testament, Um, even like Ephesians 6, something that we haven't talked about in the past many months, where Paul tells servants to obey their masters with a sincere heart as they would obey Christ, not by way of eye service, he says, meaning not just when people are watching, or not just when the commands come to you that the ones that you like or agree with, but from the heart. So continue uh, to pray for our governing authorities, even as even just as many of us were expecting, perhaps like a full-on lockdown again this week uh, from the governor's announcement. So be thankful for the restraint, uh, for the two-week reset, and then the discernment to incrementally uh, reevaluate rather than just in an indefinite order. This is something that we can definitely be thankful for. Uh, second, though, if you are annoyed, perhaps, perhaps talk more frequently with a few of our medical workers in our church who are daily seeing and working in increasing and worrying realities. We who are removed from from the hospitals can feel like uh, life is just carrying on as normal. Now I just can't go to the restaurants that I want to go to or something like that. Uh, But this is not normal life. And in many ways, this third surge of this year might be the worst yet because it's a national surge. There are fewer nurses and doctors to just float to the different parts of the country where the biggest uh, problems and hot spots are. So please, please remember to pray for the many medical workers that we have in the life of our church, that God would supernaturally sustain them in faith amongst so much sickness and death, that they would, he would be able to preserve them to keep working and serving. Pray for their families who are not seeing them as much as normal. One of one of your family members, uh, who isn't even a doctor that really makes sense to be working amongst COVID patients, is about to start a seven consecutive day string of 12-hour shifts starting tomorrow. Uh, So pray and be thankful that so many of us, uh, we just have the luxury to merely be annoyed or inconvenienced, while thousands of others in our city do not have that luxury. So Uh, meeting again next week on Zoom sounds pretty awful to me. Sounds really awful to me. But we are going to honor the governor's request, and we are going to love our neighbor more than we love ourselves in what we want right when we want it uh, in the immediate short term. Uh, And we're going to do so with a joyful heart. Amen? Amen. So to Acts we go. Well, so far we have seen In the first five chapters, God form a new people, the place where his spirit will dwell and fill the earth. In his people, we've seen opposition from the outside. The religious leaders, we have seen opposition from the inside. In chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, then we saw more opposition from the outside. And then Acts 6 is going to show more division from the inside. Division that comes from neglect. So we're going to see that Acts 6 shows us just another example. Of that, when we, or you might hear people say, like, I wish we could just live like the early church in the book of Acts. Well, the early church in Acts had all kinds of problems, just like we do. And the early church, just like we do, needs the Spirit of God at work. And Luke, I think, certainly wants to show us that it is through the church. That God is adorning the doctrine of the gospel. It is through the church that simultaneously, as the gospel goes out toward people, it inwardly shapes these same people through the church and in the church. So in thinking about the church tonight, I want to use Acts 6, 1 through 7 to just ask three questions for us tonight. Who belongs to the church? How will the church be cared for? And who will care for the church? Who belongs to the church? How will the church be cared for? And then, who will care for the church? So first of all, in asking this first question, who belongs to the church? Uh, Knowing that in his original scrolls, uh, Luke didn't include these uh, chapter and verse numbers that we have in our English Bibles. These were later editions by later scribes to help readers find and identify specific texts. So it's not like, as we're reading, we like turn over from chapter 5 to chapter 6, and now we get to like the deacon's passage of Acts or something. No, these seven verses in Acts 6 come immediately after what we thought about last week, at the end of chapter 5. Chapter 5 ends this way, and starting in verse 41. Then they, the apostles, they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So knowing and believing that their ultimate power and authority was not from men, but from God, the apostles are willingly and joyfully suffering for the name of Jesus. And they continue to preach the name of Jesus. And then what happens? Well, chapter 6, verse 1, the disciples are increasing in number. Not the apostles, they aren't adding to the 12, but the disciples. That is, those who are coming to Christ. Anyone who comes to Christ becomes his disciple, becomes a learner, a student, a follower of Jesus. At the end of Matthew 28, when Jesus is sending his disciples out, he tells them to preach and to baptize, baptize people into conversion in Christ, yes but he doesn't send them out. He doesn't say, go and make converts of all the nations. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to believe all that I have commanded, which is exactly what the apostles are doing in chapter 5, verse 42. They did not cease teaching and preaching. They are discipling people. The invitation for salvation is extended to all who would believe, but the invitation is also an invitation not just to become a convert, to become a Christian, but to become a disciple of Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to like Jesus, to come and die. To die to self and in so doing find the life in Christ that you were actually created for. To love God and to love others. whereas Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And living a life of self-denial, of self-forgetfulness, you actually will find the life that you were created for. This is what following in the steps of Jesus and learning from him actually does. So people from all over Jerusalem, and as we saw last week from the surrounding uh, villages and towns, the, these, these people are, com- are becoming these kind of self-denying Uh, filled and found by Jesus' disciples. And there's just a ton of them, like thousands upon thousands. But what makes it even more complicated is that there are centuries-old prejudices uh, in and amongst these people. A complaint comes by the Hellenists, is what uh, you heard Tara read from the English Standard Version that we're reading from. These are people, Hellenists, are Greek-speaking Jews. So if you'll remember what we thought about in chapter 2, that a couple of hundred years before this, Ethnic Jews were dispersed all over the Mediterranean world, and though they remained religiously Jewish, in many ways they became more culturally Greek. And many of these people are now here in Jerusalem. Perhaps some of them have permanently moved back to Jerusalem. Uh, We know that many Jews would move back to Jerusalem to be buried there. Uh, Maybe that's why there are so many widows around. Who knows? Or maybe many more are still just hanging around in the city after this huge uh, migratory feast of Pentecost. Either way, there are a lot of Greek-speaking Jews who have, alongside the Palestinian Aramaic-speaking Jews, they have all together become disciples of Jesus. But amongst these people, there is division. It doesn't appear like these people hate each other, or at least Luke doesn't indicate that they do, but there is division. Maybe a imperfect illustration might be if like in the year 1750 or something, a bunch of Christians from America and from Australia and from South Africa all came back to London. Everyone there is a British citizen. They are citizens of the crown. But the colonists who have come back to London from all over the world, they don't really feel like they're at home. At worst, the the Londoners, those who live in London, uh, might look down their noses at the newcomers for not really being English. But maybe not that harsh. Maybe the Londoners might think, you know what? I bet those Americans would just rather just be together. I bet the Australians would rather just be together. They probably enjoy the same things. They can care for themselves better than what we might be able to help them with. Perhaps that's what's going on here. These Greek widows are starving. And in ancient times, becoming a widow might very likely mean a death sentence. A widow was amongst the most vulnerable people in society. Because of the culture in which they lived, it would often mean the inability to financially provide for themselves. That's why having children was so important. There's no such thing as a pension or a retirement plan, a Roth IRA, no such thing as social security or Medicare. That's why even weird-sounding laws to us, to our modern ears, weird-sounding laws like, like a dead brother's husband ought to now marry his dead brother's wife, his widow, these are actually ways for the people, for God to care for the vulnerable. And so while the community of Aramaic speaking, Palestinian Jewish Christians are likely caring wonderfully for the widows amongst themselves, remember Acts 2 and 4 where they had all things in common no one was lacking anything. Nevertheless, these Greek-speaking Jewish Christians who may have grown up in Crete or in Egypt or in Mesopotamia, they are being neglected. And again, maybe not even intentionally. We're not sure what being neglected in the daily distribution, we see in verse 1, explicitly means. But maybe the Palestinians figured that the Greek speakers didn't want or need their help. Maybe the Palestinians had so removed themselves socially where they didn't even realize and understand the Greeks' needs. In any case, Christians were allowing other Christians to starve. Now, we should be concerned for all needs of all humans. We should move toward and seek to relieve suffering of all kinds. But I think what Luke is wanting to most highlight here is Christians' care for other Christians. Again, not to the exclusion of those outside the body of Christ, but as Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. So to answer our first question, who belongs to the church? Well, anyone who belongs to Jesus, anyone who is following him as a disciple. But in our day, there are hundreds and hundreds of millions of Christians in the world, It's not quite as simple as who belongs to the church and who should we care for as anyone who's a Christian, like it was in Acts 6, when the only place in the world, the only city in the world where there are Christians is in Jerusalem, is right here. I think Acts 6 gives us some practical guidance for, first and foremost, focusing our attention on those immediately amongst us. And in fact, if you are a member of this church, you are in covenant with the other members of this church— to do just that. Who belongs to the church most closely are those whom you are in covenant with in this church. Again, not to say that we should never care about the wider needs of our community or of the world. Uh, You'll see some little catalogs in the pew next to you. We do this every year in encouraging you to uh, care for physical, immediate needs and suffering around the world. But first, we must care for one another. If we cannot care for one another, then we will not have the ability to continue to care for those outside our body. So secondly, let's now consider how will the church be cared for? If we have determined that who belongs to the church, it is those who are following Jesus, most specifically those within this church. How will the church be cared for? How will we care for one another? So this complaint of neglect comes to the apostles. And so in verse 2, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, at first glance, this, you might mistakenly read this as sounding like pretty pretentious, right? Like, you might hear that, read that as saying, wait, what? Like, I am not a waiter. Do you know my name? It is Peter. I am not a busboy. Perhaps that you could read it that way, that James or John or Thomas is saying serving tables is so beneath me, but that is not at all what is going on here. The apostles, like Jesus and Moses before them, know that man does not live on bread alone, but on the Word of God. And yet, man does live on bread. Bread is very important, and so it is important that they are, so important that they are about to figure out a way to fix this very important problem. But man does not live on bread alone having our physical needs fulfilled is not actually the most important thing just as people have physical needs they have even greater spiritual needs that can only be treated can only be fulfilled and satisfied through preaching or later in verse 4 through the prayer through prayer and the ministry of the word If the apostles devote all of their time to fixing the practical needs of the people that are being neglected, then the spiritual needs of all of the people will then be neglected. There's just so many hours in the day for these 12 apostles, and something's got to give. And so, the first words out of the disciples' mouths in verse 2 ought to actually give us a hint at where this thing is going. They say, it is not right, or literally, it is not good, The same phrase that God says of Adam, that it is not right for man to be alone, alone in his task of ruling over creation as God's image bearer. Adam needed help to accomplish this task. And then in the same way in Exodus 18, when Moses is completely overwhelmed with the requests and the needs of his people, his father-in-law Jethro comes to him and says, it is not good. And he says, you are not able to do it alone. So Moses appoints and he delegates judges to help him in his task. This is certainly just wise leadership in dispersing responsibility to fill different specific needs in making things that are not good, now good. And it is both not good that widows are going hungry from the lack of bread, but nor would it be good for the rest of the people to go hungry from the lack of preaching and teaching more help is needed. The apostles need helpmates. So they say in verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. So it's important to the apostles that they not only find uh, people, the people amongst them who are like best with spreadsheets or logistics, but those with a good reputation— those who are full of the Spirit, who are full of wisdom. Probably both so that it's actually trustworthy people who, is, who are leading out in this new initiative. We wouldn't want untrustworthy people to gather all this bread and then take it for themselves or something. But also because these people are being publicly appointed as leaders. Leaders in the church aren't appointed just because of their skills or their job titles, but because of their character, of their reputation, of their walking by the Spirit, of their, by their wisdom. they might actually say, follow me as I follow Christ, not follow me because I make a lot of money or follow me because I am supremely competent with Excel. Interestingly too, all seven of the dudes that are chosen have Greek names. It might be that they figured the Greek Jews will probably be be better equipped to care for the Greek widows, but these are the very first seven people who are singled out, who are chosen, who are appointed, who have hands laid on them by the apostles. There are no Jewish names like Joseph or Matthias or Elihu or something, but Philip and Prochorus and Nicholas, Greek dudes. In like an Elijah, Elisha moment of laying on hands, of passing on and giving authority. Not one Palestinian Jew receives this kind of authority in this church. The dividing wall is beginning to be broken down. Greek Jews are being elevated, appointed, and in fact, we will barely hear from the apostles in the rest of the book of Acts. And yet over the next three chapters, the story gets really carried forward by these Greek guys, Stephen and Philip. In Christ, there is slave nor free. There is Jew nor Greek. All are made one in Christ Jesus. Now, were these guys the first deacons? This text is often taught as a deacon passage and for good reason. When the apostles say it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, that word serve is the Greek word for deacon. It is not good—here's a super rough translation—it is not good that we deacon tables— the apostles say. So pick out seven men who we will appoint to do that duty, to, to to do the deaconing. In the decades following, this role will solidify into a formal office of the church, most clearly explained in 1 Timothy 3, where each church should have men, or in our conviction, uh, mostly from 1 Timothy 3, each church should have men or women Uh, who will serve the practical needs of the church so that the elders, the pastors, are more able to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And that's what our deacons do, both in our GC leaders who are more on the, the front lines of knowing you, of counseling you, of caring for you than the five pastors of this church are able to do and also in the many other various ministries, the teams, or the needs that arise in our church over which we have appointed a deacon, a servant. But I don't think it would be quite right to say that these seven men here in Acts 6 are the very first deacons of the church. They are maybe like proto-deacons, kind of like, I don't know, if you read about the Revolutionary War or you read the Declaration of Independence or something, and then you assume that all of the later constitutional norms from like a decade later uh, would be present in those. what was going on in the revolution. Yeah, like the, like the right elements were there in its like early forms, but this role in ministry uh, would later become the office of deacon. And so how should the church be cared for? I think we are seeing here The church should be cared for with intentionality, with thoughtfulness, and with prayer, with character, and without distinction, and caring for all. Which now gets us to our final question. Who should care for the church? It seems like we've already answered that question. If there's a need in the body, we should just appoint a deacon to oversee it and fix it. And oftentimes that is the right answer, especially when there are legitimate practical needs that just need better administration. Sometimes that is needed. But are there other needs in the body that actually do not need a deacon to oversee? Yes. We have all received a ministry of reconciliation. Every Christian, in understanding our union with Christ, should now even more understand how Christ has come to bring healing, to come to bring union with one another. Just as Clint prayed for in Ephesians 4, pastors, shepherds, actually do not do the work of the ministry, Paul says in Ephesians 4. Pastors and shepherds exist to equip the saints, to equip the church, to equip the people of the church to do the work of the ministry, to do the work of the life of our church. Elders and deacons aren't the ones who actually do that. It is the church who does that. And yet, are there also needs in our body that exist because of some real or felt division? Yes. In addition to something that we're going to begin to think and talk about more and more as we make our way through the book of Acts, that there are ethnic, there are cultural sensibilities and preferences that should actually begin to melt away if they are causing division in the life of the church? How are our assumptions about others perhaps cultivating within us an indifference toward those who are different than us? Or a further assumption that the life of our church or the life of other churches in town might just be easier and better off if we just kind of all just gathered with, in churches of like interests, of like ethnicities, of like preferences. This conversation will certainly need leadership. And as we continue through Acts, we're going to hopefully be able to lead you, lead us in thinking more clearly about some of these things. But what would actually begin to transform the life of our church, in pushing through walls of division, is actually individual members. Not a a pastor or a deacon telling you to do this, but individual members growing even further in hospitality, in, in friendship, in personal discomfort. We don't need deacons for that. We need church members for that. But what about other divisions? We'll certainly continue that conversation over the next many months. What about other divisions? No doubt there are lots of areas of application here. But in my conversations with so many of you over the past many years, while many of our single folks feel this same level of Greek widow neglect in the life of our church, that married folks and families regularly hang out with each other and grow in deep community and in friendship, while single folks often feel like they're on the outside looking in. Uh, Married folks, if you haven't yet, uh, can I encourage you to, again, for like the fifth time, to go back and listen to the singleness seminar that we uh, did a few months ago. It's on our website, it's on the podcast feed. Uh, You're under a stay-at-home order for the next two weeks, um, the holidays are coming up, perhaps no better time to go back and listen to that. God has saved us into a family. And while yes, for you parents, uh, your children should be your most immediate focus of your attention and discipleship, but how can you invite others into that? How can you invite others around your dinner tables with your children, around your board game tables, around your movie-watching couches. We don't need a deacon to oversee dinner invitations. We need married married folks to make dinner invitations, especially in this COVID season when so many of our single folks are lacking community. We do the work of the ministry amongst ourselves. We care for our people and the various needs they have. Maybe Like the Palestinians may have been thinking. Maybe you, married folks, are thinking, oh, the single folks would just rather be together. It's kind of awkward with my kids. I don't really like being around my kids, so other people won't really like being around my kids. That's not really what I think, kids. That's maybe what you're thinking. (laughs) Have you asked them? Have you actually given single folks in the life of our church the opportunity to be around your kids and give them the out- (laughs) Uh, to not be, want to be around them? Break through assumptions that you have and move to the needs of our church. But single folks, can I encourage you as well? Remember what Sam Alberry says, that married folks can tend to compare the worst parts of marriage to the best parts of singleness, and yet single folks can tend to compare the worst parts of singleness with the best parts of marriage. Many of the married folks in our church that might frustrate you because they are not moving towards you like you would hope that they would, they are also struggling, perhaps drowning in different but equally difficult problems that of marriage difficulty, isolation. You, wanna, you, wanna, you think isolation as a single person is bad? isolation as a married person, far worse. Serious. Many of the married folks in the life of our church that you just wish would be moving towards you are struggling through loss, death, infertility. When they have a newborn and are legitimately not sleeping, they are going crazy. So I hate, like, they're not thinking perhaps of many of the needs of the body around them because they're barely hanging on mentally themselves. When they are fostering or adopting children and the unbelievable stress and new responsibility that has now been injected into their homes, when they are working through insane COVID hours and are just exhausted by all of this, just the same as you are. We all need each other and with the mind of Christ to be growing in self forgetfulness. To be considering each other to be more significant than ourselves. To be moving toward others, all of us, in different but similar levels of isolation, of disappointment, of difficulty, of discontentment, of loneliness. So all of us, all of us, don't assume that you are the Greek widow here don't be so quick to put yourself into the one who is in need of such immediate focused care and attention, that you are the one on the wrong end of neglect. How can you move toward caring and serving others? You might just find that in doing so, you might even have all of your relational needs met as you do. There is now no distinction for those who are in Christ Jesus. Slave nor free, Greek nor Jew, young nor old, male nor female, married or single, we are all one, saved into one family, considering each other to be more significant than ourselves, outdoing each other and showing honor, searching for and being sensitive to the needs of the body that we can then meet and fill. And while sometimes pastors, deacons can help to oversee that, this is the call of every single one of us, to be the very temple of God, the spirit-filled place of his presence amongst us. And you know what happens when a community of people actually live in this kind of way? Throughout Acts, the gospel advances and people often come to faith in response to bold preaching. And preaching and a clear proclamation of the gospel is always necessary. But Acts 6 tells us that a supernatural community is often just as compelling as a supernatural proclamation. After a bunch of Greek widows have their hunger met, after like some people get appointed to like make sure that the logistics and the administration of the church happens rightly so that all people are cared for, what happens in verse 7? As a result of all that, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's a new one. Priests, many of the same ones, assuming, assumingly, that the ones that were hauling Peter and John in front of the council before the court, now they're saying, I want that. I want to be a part of a community like that. That is a compelling community. The Spirit is alive and real amongst those people. Might we become that kind of community? Of unity, of community, of love, of intentionality, of care, of self-forgetfulness? These are tough days of isolation for all of us. For some of us, those levels of isolation are much more difficult and felt than others. Who in our body needs your intentional care? I'm just gonna let that sit for a second. Names, faces. Who in our body needs your intentional care? Married folks, perhaps that's some single folks that you might need to invite over carefully, not breaking any rules. Single folks, that might mean preparing a meal. Dropping it off on a front porch for those who are just swamped with responsibilities right now. Who knows what it means? I don't know. Creativity is needed. The work and the help of the Spirit is needed. But it is this kind of community that is a supernatural community. And if it is a supernatural community, we need supernatural help. The Spirit of God amongst us forming, and shaping as it moves out, but it also shapes within. So if that's the case, let's now and ongoingly ask for God's supernatural help in and amongst us. Our Father, we are so thankful for your adoption of us as your sons and daughters, for those who have come to Christ, confessing our sins, trusting in his finished work on our behalf that you have now saved us into a new family, that you have united us by the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us to become more sensitive of your work amongst us. We pray that you would help us to become more sensitive of the needs in and amongst us. Help us to become self-forgetful. To be always looking for the needs of others, being so filled by you that we are looking to fill others rather than using people to fill us. Fill us, we pray. Give us joy, give us contentment, give us great hope in these coming weeks and perhaps months. Help us to care for one another as you have moved towards us. We're so thankful for your movement towards us, Lord Jesus, that you would not consider your place by the Father a place to be held on to selfishly, but that you might use your place of power to serve others. Make us this kind of people. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.